know more, to understand his will for our life more. And that that's true. Um, I believe when we sing that song, God honors that. Hey, this morning I um, asked Brian to stay up here for a second. I don't know if you guys recognized every week that Brian's been wearing these awesome retro shirts. I don't know if y'all noticed that. Y'all noticed that? Yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah, Brian's been wearing these really cool shirts. And, uh, and so we're in the middle of this series called Retro. And so uh, you see what Brian has on, and I want you to do, try to do the same next week. We're going to wrap up this series. And, uh, and so I'm going to try to find a retro shirt like Brian's and, uh, and dress retro next week. If you have something in your closet, you might have to reach way back in your closet. Or maybe right there in, in the front of your closet. I don't know. Um, but, but if you can find something, wear it, and uh, we'll have a little bit of fun as we wrap up this retro series. Because um, we're in the middle of this series, right? And we've been just, retro is all about looking back. Um, looking back at things that are important, whether it's styles, whether it's, uh, whether it's uh, trends, whether it's fashion, right? There are things that kind of, they come around full circle, right? Um, there is a day, if Brian holds on to that shirt long enough, there is a day where that's going to become trendy again, right? And, and people will be wearing that, and Brian will be able to sell it for, uh... oh, that day is now. <laughs> Brian said, I did not have to reach back into the back of my closet. It was right there. Uh, no, but yeah, styles and trends, they, they come around. And so in this series, Retro, we're looking back at, at, at things that are important, uh, not just styles and fashion and clothing, but we're looking at things in the scriptures that are important. And so the first week we talked about salvation, right? What does it mean uh, to be saved? And that's a word that we use all the time in the church. Or you may hear somebody say, I've been saved or God saved me. Last week we looked at baptism, which is kind of a next step in salvation, right? You understand this message of Jesus Christ, who he is. Um, you accept what God has done for you and desires to do through you. And you take that step of baptism where you're buried in the water, right? We talked about baptism being our death uh, with Jesus Christ. He died for us so that we wouldn't have to die. When we're baptized, we're buried in the water. And we're raised up to this new life that we can live in. And this week we're talking about freedom, right? Which isn't quite as popular uh, of a topic as uh, salvation and baptism in terms of being retro. Maybe you've never even heard of the idea of freedom uh, being talked about in the church. Uh, But we're talking about it because it's all throughout the scriptures in the New Testament. Jesus talked about it. Paul wrote about it. All throughout the New Testament, there's a message of freedom. We are free in Christ. And so we're going to wrestle with, we're going to look back at that in some of those scriptures. And then we're going to wrestle with what that means for us today. Why is it important? Let's pray before we uh, get into the message. God, we give you thanks uh, this morning. We give you thanks that we get to gather in places like these and sing songs of praise to you. Not just songs of praise to you, but also songs about what you have done through Jesus Christ. God, we need that to be brought to our memory. That there are chains that have been broken and that now we are free. And so, God, as we wrestle with this concept this morning, as we read the scriptures, talk about it, discuss it, even as discussion continues after we leave this place in our city groups and in our homes, God, may we come to a greater understanding of what it means to be free in Christ. And more than that, God, give us a boldness that we might walk in it, that we might live it out. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, you ever notice how... how some people use God to justify things that they want to do, 
right? Those sentences that begin with, God told me to, right? You can fill in the blank, right? God told me to leave my wife, or God told me to leave my husband. God told me to quit my job. God told me to drop out of school. God told me to, right? Fill in the blank, right? Now, now I don't want to say that there aren't things that God leads people to do, or even that God tells people to do, but there's some things sometimes, right? I just want to say, just go ahead and say, I want to do this, and, and I'm going to, don't put God's name to it, right? Because there's some things that just don't line up with Scripture, don't line up with God's character, and just aren't things that God has said, and we put God's name on it as a way to justify our actions. I think we have to be real careful there, because once you say God told me, right, who's going to challenge that? There's not many people who are going to say, you're either calling God a liar, or you're calling the person who says that a liar. One of the two, right? And so you're putting someone on risk, in a risky place to call you accountable uh, when you say God told me to. You know, the reality is God's will is not always clear. And there's times that we will feel like God has led us to do something, and then we may look back and we may say, hey, I, I think I missed that one. I missed the mark there. I, I don't think that's what God was leading me to do. Or we may say um, that, that there's times that I, I felt like uh, I just wasn't, wasn't sure what I should do. I didn't know what the way forward. I prayed about it and I made a decision. And I clearly felt like God led me into the right decision, even though I didn't know it at the time, right? Even though I was unsure, unaware that I was doing the thing God wanted me to do. When I look back, I was able to say, hey, God, God helped me there. I'm a big proponent of, I call it asking and acting, right? Praying about a decision that you have to make, especially these decisions that that have to be made quickly, right? Praying about these decisions. If if you don't feel like God has led you to to a specific, clear answer, right? If the answer isn't right before your your eyes, right before you, you, you ask God for his help, right? You talk to other people about it who are people who are walking with the Lord, right? You ask first, but then you act. You make a decision, right? Life shouldn't be on hold because we're waiting for this answer to fall from the sky right before us. And so we ask God, yeah, help me. Help me to make wise decisions. But then you make a decision. But if it is, if it is that you have not heard a voice from heaven, right? Or you do not feel like God has specifically led you to do something. Don't put God's name on it, right? Just say, hey, I've prayed about this. I've read the scriptures. I've talked to friends. This is the best decision I know how to make, right? Because there's times that we're going to wrestle with decisions about what's in God's will for our life, what God would have us to do, and what's the right way forward. Now, when we get into the New Testament, um, we're going to look in, in Corinthians this morning, First Corinthians. When we get into the New Testament, we see a church that was wrestling with what it meant to follow God. And I could say, or I would say when, from reading Corinthians, that the Corinthians got this wrong big time, many times, right? They just totally missed what it meant to follow God. And there's this story in, in Corinthians chapter 5. Um, where there's just this big case. And I'm just going to read the first two verses here because this is just glaring at us. And, and, and you'll, you'll get it as soon as we read it. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1, it says, it's actually reported, and this is Paul writing to the church. He said, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of the kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you have rather 
gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this. Now this is, yeah, I mean, that, that is a glaring, missing the mark kind of thing. And so, then I, and I, you know, I want to say, when I'm reading that scripture, I want to say that this was his stepmother, right? Uh, I'm at least hoping that that's the case. If you know what I mean, because if not, this story has gone from nastier, nasty to nastier, right? Um, but, but when they say that even pagans do not tolerate, it kind of leaves a lot of things to the imagination. But let's just say that it was his stepmother. Let's just go with that for this morning. And, but the problem is not just that this guy was um, legitimizing his, what he was doing. It wasn't just that he was doing it. But listen to what Paul says. He says, but you, talking to the church, you're proud of it. You see, this guy had misunderstood something. And I I get this image of him showing up to church on Sunday morning and saying, hey, guys, free in Christ. God told me it was okay, Right. I prayed about it. I wrestled with it. God said it was okay, And I'm going with it. And the church bought it. Right. Yeah. And the church bought it and celebrated what he was doing. And you, the church, you're proud of this. This is this is missing the mark big time. Right. But God told me. But God said, you see, there the church in Corinth. And before you I mean, if you read through the book, you'll probably want to conclude that, that the Corinthians were just a bunch of pagans. Right. Just a bunch of heathens, just kind of doing whatever they wanted to do. That's always the temptation when you're reading through the book of Corinthians. But that's not the case. Right. That's not the case here. Their theology was way out of whack. Right. They were missing what was God's will for them at that point in their life. They were misunderstanding ultimately what it means to be free in Christ. You see, Jesus talked a lot about freedom and the freedom that we now have in Christ. And when Paul is writing the churches, even because he wrote multiple letters to these churches as churches were starting up. And for the first time, people were wrestling with the question of what it meant to be a follower of Christ. As they wrestled with this, Paul was writing these letters to them to help them understand some of the questions that they're wrestling with. And so like in Corinthians, when we're reading these books, Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote. When we're reading these books, one of the first things or best things that we can do is to try to get to the root of what question Paul is addressing. Now, in this story, it's quite obvious the question that he's addressing and the situation that he's writing to. Um, But it's not always the case. And so here he's writing to this misunderstanding that they have about what it means to be free in Christ. Now, when the first century people, when the church would have heard this, they would have gone, their mind would have gone back to the Old Testament, right? The first half of our Bible. Our Bible is almost split in half. There's this Old Testament, there's this New Testament. The first half of the Bible in it, in in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, Deuteronomy, those different books, there are different laws that the people were expected to live by. And these laws were legally binding. This was like our government law, right? The different laws, speed limits, stuff like that. Speed limits weren't in the Bible, but there were laws that were legally binding. There were religious laws that were legally um, binding. And in fact, they had, I think, 633 of these different laws. And so when you read in in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, different books, you'll see that these things are repeated over and over and over again because it was law and it needed to be something that you remembered. It needed to be something that stuck with you. Right. And these laws have prescriptions and punishments. Right. This is what you should do. That's a prescription or this is what you shouldn't do. Prescription. And then if you don't do this, this is the consequence. 
This is what happens if you don't do that. And let's just say the consequences were quite severe. Look at uh, in Leviticus. This is just an example. Uh, Leviticus chapter 20. Um, and I'm going to start reading in verse 10. Because this one addresses exactly what this church, the Corinthian church, was dealing with in the scriptures. In verse 10, it says, If a man commits adultery with, his, uh, with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Uh, if a man has sexual relations with his father's wife, he's dishonored his father, right? That's exactly what was happening in the Corinthian church. Both the man and the woman are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. If a man has sexual relations with his daughter-in-law, both of them are to be put to death. What they have done is perversion. Their blood will be on their own heads. And this scripture continues from there. But notice that, it's, that at least to, to our ears, if you're trying to, to read this um, from fresh ears, like as though this is your first time hearing it, not growing up familiar with the scriptures and what they say, that's a little bit shocking, right? Right, when it says they should be put to death, it seems a bit outdated, old-fashioned, not right, would not happen. Talk about population control, right? Um, If we put some of these laws that are in the Bible into place today, we would not have any problem with overpopulation in any country in the world, right? Because these, these are very severe prescriptions and punishments that are found in the Scriptures. Now, I want you to, and we're not going to stay here on this passage for a long time, but I want, you to, I want you to hear this not just through our ears in modern America, but through the ears of, of people 3,000 years ago in a world that has become a lot more civilized than it is today, in a world that would have responded to this in a much different way than we would today, in a world without activists and organizations like PETA that are protecting the rights of animals, we were living in a world that did not protect, they were living in a world that did not protect the rights of people, right? And so this would have sounded much different and much more civil. But notice what it said. It says, if someone commits adultery, right? If somebody's doing what the Corinthians were doing, right? That person is to be put to death. Now, when Jesus comes and begins teaching, he begins teaching this idea of being free in Christ but not just free in Christ, but it's almost like this hold up, this wait a minute, pump the brakes, stop that, don't kill the adulterer, right? You might remember the classic story in John chapter 8. There's that story in John chapter 8, the woman that's caught in the act of adultery. They catch her, they drag her before Jesus' feet, and they're ready to stone this woman to death because that's what the law said that you're supposed to do. Do you remember that story, what Jesus says? He says, let the one who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Let the one who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Right? Because there's grace. There's this God of second chances, of third chances, of fourth chances, of fifth chances. There's this God who is creating these environments where people are made whole. Because look at what he said. Because he wasn't just dismissing this lady's actions. He wasn't just dismissing them. But he said, go and leave your life of sin. Stop sinning. Do something differently. 
Now, Jesus was always, because he was doing stuff like this, he was always at odds with the teachers of the law. These guys that had memorized all 633 laws that there were in the Old Testament, they knew them by memory. They were always calling people out on them. They were waiting for someone, right, to do something that was against the law so that they could accuse them and so that they would receive the punishment that was due them. Now, Jesus comes and begins saying, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And that That would have been shocking in Jesus' day, especially for a religious teacher, because Jesus was a religious leader. He he, um, taught the scriptures. He read the scriptures. He preached from the scriptures. Um, And so for him to say this would have been extremely shocking, and it would have been a new kind of freedom that was different from anything that anyone had ever heard. It would have been a new kind of freedom that was easy for people to misunderstand. But what Jesus was doing here was that he wasn't just rejecting the law and saying, get rid of that law is no good. Turn your back on it. He wasn't just rejecting the law, but he was revealing God's heart. He was revealing God's heart that's for restoration rather than retribution. God's not just about making us pay or just about paying us back which is what retribution is about right retribution says pay back the sinner when someone does wrong when someone disobeys god pay them back give them what they deserve put them to death stone them outcast them marginalize them make them pay make them feel the punishment the pain for what they've done right that was the old testament law that's kind of the way that it rolled right you remember uh, maybe you've heard the saying eye for eye tooth for a tooth that comes from the bible it gave incentives right for doing the right thing right you do something wrong you, you take somebody's eye your eyes being taken uh, you take somebody's tooth do something to cause somebody's tooth to fall out your teeth are being taken out right eye for an eye tooth for a tooth whatever you do wrong to somebody there's payback coming uh, for you And so there's incentives there, right? You want your eyes, you want your teeth, you want whatever body part you use to do whatever you're doing wrong, right? You want those things and you don't want this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of thing. And Jesus begins teaching this restorative justice, this ideal of creating these environments where people are made whole, where people are restored, where people are healed. You see, Jesus wasn't just about paying back the sinner. He wasn't just about giving people the punishment that their actions deserved. And oftentimes they do deserve a punishment. He wasn't just about that, but he was about seeing people move closer to God. He was about seeing people healed. He was about seeing people walk differently, walk in this newness that God was calling them to. You see, Jesus was about something much different. And that's a life where we're made whole. And you see, where the religious leaders were missing the mark, where they were missing what was going on here, is that they did not understand that Jesus was there to take the punishment, the penalty for every wrong thing that they, every wrong thing that we could and would ever, ever do. That Jesus was there to take the punishment, to receive that for us. And in fact, that was God's plan from the beginning of time. That God's plan from the beginning of history, the point toward which all of history was leading, was this point where Jesus was on the cross taking the punishment for the sins, for the wrongdoings of the world. 
There's that scripture in Isaiah chapter 53, which I, I think it's very, um, it's a very powerful scripture in that when we get it, that it was written before Jesus Christ, right? This was before Jesus ever came, before Jesus ever died for our sins, before any of that ever happened. Isaiah 53 was written. It's what you call a prophecy. It was, it was foretold what Jesus would do. And listen to what it says in Isaiah 53, verse 4. It says, Surely he took up our pain, he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed, right? And so it says, notice what it says, that this is what Jesus was going to do. He was going to take our pain. He was going to bear our suffering, right? Our transgressions, the punishment that we deserved was going to be placed upon him. By his wounds, healing has come to us, right? And then in verse 10, it says this. It says, and and this is just a powerful scripture to let us into a little bit of the mind of God. It says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. That's Jesus. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It was the Lord's will, Jesus' father, to crush him and to make him suffer for us and that's the gospel that jesus has now suffered for us he's taken the weight of every wrong that we could ever do that was god's plan from the beginning of history and so when jesus says yeah the one who was without sin cast the first stone what he's saying is i'm going to take the punishment for her i am going to take the punishment for us. He's taking our punishment upon himself. And that's why grace works. The kind of grace that only God can show. Because our punishment, right? The retribution, the payback for all the wrong that we could ever do has been taken by Jesus Christ. Right? In our baptism, we talked about baptism last week. Our baptism reminds us of that. In fact, our baptism is a way of us saying, I accept that for myself. I accept that in my life. I accept the fact that God has taken the payment, the punishment for the wrong that I would do. That the law has now been carried out, not upon me, but upon Jesus for me. Right? That the law has been carried out upon Jesus for me. For me. And so when the New Testament starts talking about we are now free in Christ, yeah, that's a real freedom. It's a real freedom that we have as a result of what God has done. But the thing the Corinthians missed, and this is huge, right? The thing the Corinthians missed was that this freedom, the paradox, there's this paradox here, the paradox of freedom, is that we're only free as long as we're bound that we're only free as long as we are bound let me explain what i'm saying and let me explain it with the scripture uh, in romans chapter 6 in romans chapter 6 paul and this is the same passage we were in last week when, when paul was writing about baptism and what all baptism means and that it means that we've been we've died with christ we've raised to this new life 
Well, in verse 15, he kind of picks up this, this theme of, of what has now happened in our lives as a result of our baptism and, and the result of us saying, I accept what God has done for me. Look at what he says in verse 15. He says, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means don't you know that when you offer yourselves to somebody or someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Right. So he's setting up this framework, right? You're slaves of whatever you're obedient to. That's what you're a slave to. Then he offers us two different things that we can be slaves to. He says, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free. Here's this freedom word that's all throughout the New Testament. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness, right? That we're only free as long as we're, we're bound. We're free from sin, but we've become bound to, we've become slaves to righteousness. You see, the reality is that freedom apart from fidelity, freedom apart from faithfulness is reckless and dangerous. Just this week, I was sitting uh, in, in Drip, uh, a coffee shop, my second office, or maybe I should say my first office. <laughs> I was sitting in Drip, and it's right there where the train tracks pass right by there. Um, and in fact, they've been, they've been changing, the last couple of weeks, they've been changing out some of the railroad ties under those, those train tracks. And sometimes I parallel park right there on Central, right next to the train, and, and some of those trains come by as I'm coming to the car. It's just amazing that something so big rides on tracks that are so, so small. Um, but, but trains are an image of freedom, right? They're only free as long as they're bound to the track. Because as soon as they come off the track, right, as soon as they jump the track, they become reckless and dangerous and they come to an halt. And so freedom only happens as long as we're bound. Right. Freedom and fidelity, faithfulness, being bound to something must occur. If not, we're reckless and dangerous. We see this in the Corinthian church. They embraced their freedom in Christ, but they weren't bound to righteousness. They weren't bound to holiness. They weren't bound to God's way that God created us to live our lives and to go through life and freedom apart from being bound, is reckless and dangerous. It destroys lives. It tears things up. It's bound for destruction. And it comes to a screeching halt, a point where it's no longer freedom. It's just destruction. It's just messed up. It's just pain. It's just suffering. You see, Paul is teaching the church a very important lesson. And that's, yeah, we are free in Christ. There is freedom here. Chains have been broken. But we're free from an old way of life. We're free from sin. We're free from a life of disobeying God. We're free from a life of causing damage. We're free from recklessness. We're free from that kind of hurt caused by the way that we live. And we're free now to live this new life. You see, all throughout scriptures, this freedom is talked about as not just freedom from, it's not just about what we've been freed from, but it's big time what we've been freed for, right? We've been freed for God. We've been freed to be used by God. 
We've been freed so that we can make good moral and ethical decisions. We've been freed so that we can be a healing presence in people's lives. We've been freed that we might be able to walk with people from the place that they are to a place, uh, maybe it's from a place of brokenness into a place of wholeness. Right? We've been freed for that. Because when God frees us, He doesn't just free us from our past. He doesn't just break those chains and let us go forward in a very reckless manner. But He frees us that we might be bound to the places that God is calling us to and to the work that God has for us to do. So yeah, I mean, I started off talking about, yeah, has anybody ever, you ever heard that sentence, right? Um, God told me to do. Yeah, the Christian life is filled with people who are asking, God, what is it that you would have me to do? How is it that you would have me to live today? What would you have me to do today? How would you have me to be... um, a friend today, a daughter today, a son today, a husband today, a wife today? How would you have me to be a neighbor today? God, how would you have me to live today in a way that I realize in my actual life that I'm not just freed from something, but I'm freed for something? That you're calling me to a greater purpose. And I'm embracing that. And I'm living into this freedom that I do now have in Christ. And I'm able to look back and say, thank you, God, you freed me for this person, for this purpose, for this life, for this cause, that now I've been freed in you. Now, last week I said at the end of the sermon, I had two like practical point, three practical points, right? And the third one I, I forgot. So this week we only have two practical points. So hopefully I don't forget the two. Um, but the first one is this. Um, that we've been free to be servants. The scriptures clearly say that, that we've been free to be servants. There's a strong irony there, right? We're free that we might serve. In Galatians, I think it's Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes about this. um, And uh, he says this in verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Right. And this whole chapter is about freedom. Even if you look at the sub, the, the heading at the top, it's called freedom in Christ. You have been called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh as the Corinthians were doing. Rather, serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other, right? If you free yourself from the track, right? If you're not bound to something, ultimately you'll be destroyed by one another. So you're free, but use that freedom for a purpose. Use that freedom that you might serve one another. You know, the Christian Christian community, the church as a whole, ought to be a different kind of community, It ought to be a different, we ought to be a different kind of people. We ought to be engaging in different kinds of activities. That's not to say that once you become a Christian, you live in this bubble and you have to do just this and only this. But there are things that we do because we recognize we've been freed for a purpose. And part of that purpose is to serve other people, to give of our time, 
right? To give of our resources, to give of the things that God has generously provided for us, to be living with eyes wide open that we can see opportunities that are before us to serve other people, to help other people. We've been freed for that purpose. We've been freed that we might be servants. The second thing that we've been freed for is we've been freed that we might be holy. Now, I never want to communicate uh, and, and I don't want to live under that pressure either. Um, but I, I never want to communicate that the church is a perfect place. Right? I'm not a perfect person. Paul, who is here singing, no one on our worship team is perfect. If they tell you they are, they're liars. Right? Uh, Jamie's not perfect. None of us are. No one in this room is perfect. And, um, and we don't want to claim to be perfect people. Right? We fail from time to time. <laughs> maybe sometimes more than we like to admit. We don't always make the right decisions. We let people who are around us down from time to time, right? There are times that we look back and say, man, I wish I would have done that differently. I wish I would have acted differently. I wish I would have treated this situation differently. I wish I would have done better. If only I knew what I know now and I wouldn't have made the decision. We do that, right? That happens and that's a part of life. But I love what Jesus says at the end, I think it's Matthew chapter 5, and this is the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, right? And so he's not calling us to lift ourselves up and say, we are a perfect people, but he's calling us to be a people who are reaching for perfection, a people who are traveling toward holiness, a people who recognize that we're on a journey, and this journey is leading somewhere, right? And it's a journey towards holiness, a journey towards God's will, a journey towards a way of life that God created us for, a journey towards a world that is being made whole, a journey with a God who's taking the broken pieces of our world and putting them back together. And that kind of wholeness only happens as we embrace the holiness that God created us for. Yeah, Tri-Cities Church isn't a perfect place. Hopefully you didn't come here expecting to find perfect people. Um, But we are people who are committed to moving toward holiness with one another. Because God's called us to serve one another. God's called us to be holiness. And we use our freedom for that. Let's pray. God, we're thankful that, yeah, that, that um, day after day we get to experience your strength. Yeah, that helps us to serve other people. That helps us to move towards holiness. God, we thank you um, for the boldness that you expressed in Christ Jesus. Yeah, that he took our place on the cross that he knew that your plan was to crush him and to cause him to suffer, but yet he was bold enough to take our place on the cross. God, we thank you that such boldness is available to us in Jesus Christ. And so, God, yeah, we ask for that boldness and we ask for that strength. And we ask that you help us, yeah, to be servants this week, to live with our eyes wide open to see the opportunities that are before us. And then help us to make steps towards holiness. God, we don't want to pretend like we're there, like we've arrived. But God, we are, we are moving closer with your help. 
with your strength, with your boldness. Yeah, God, we're moving closer. God, please help us not to be, um, not to grow negative in the distance that we've come forward, but to continue to move forward in you and to trust that you are making something beautiful out of our lives, no matter where we are right now, no matter what we've done, no matter what memory of the past we have. God, you are making something beautiful. Yeah, God, help us not to forget the past, but help us to, to, to move forward. Retro, God, we're living. We want to look back. We want to look in retrospect. But God, we want to move forward with you. Help us to do that. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.